Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for tech at the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Experiential marketing has had a tumultuous few years with the crash with COVID-19, the rapid pivot to hybrid environments, and not so long ago at all, a returned clamor for in real life experiences. So this year, this summer, this time when all of this is going to come together for Experiential's big moment, we're going to be asking my panel of expert guests what they expect the big trends to be, and more importantly, what marketers need to know about Experiential in 2023. So to begin with, I'd like to ask my guests to introduce themselves. Sophie, could we start with you, please? Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Sophie Taylor, and I'm a Senior Account Director here at George P. Johnson in London, brand experience agency uh, based uh, globally, but I'm sitting in the London office. Very nice. Delighted to have you on. Svenja? Uh, hi, I'm Svenja Fram. I'm a Creative Director at a company called Pixel Artworks. We do magical and measurable shared immersive experiences, um, which means we do projection mapping installations, kind of large-scale LED um, setups, um, experiences, and anything that is visual and audience-based. Oh, nice. Fantastic. And Stephen? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Stephen Whelan. I'm the Creative Experience Director at TRO. Um, we've been reimagining experiential marketing since 1982. Um, we're part of the Omnicom Experiential Group. So we have family of companies that span GMR in the States, Odetoire through Paris, um, and Hamo in the Middle East and North Africa. Nice. Delighted to have you on. And Tamsin. Hi, yeah, I'm Tamsin Ackerman. I'm an activation specialist within Braylano, who are an integrated marketing agency. I think our passion comes from human insights, so really looking at how we can drive um, behavioural change through those experiential campaigns. Um, I'm very excited to be here today. Thanks for having us. No, of course. Well, we're delighted to have you on. Obviously, this is uh, as big a topic as probably we've ever discussed on the Drum Network, being that experiential covers so many different churches at this point. Uh, oh, a lot of nodding for <laughs> for the listeners. There was a lot of nodding when I said that. So to begin with, Sophie, I wondered, could you maybe take us through what you're expecting to see in terms of trends for 2023, just to tee things up? Yeah, sure. I think um, for me, there's sort of three key macro trends that I think are going to kind of filter through more of the kind of micro individual trends that we're seeing. And that's uh, sustainability, hybrid and diversity and inclusion. I think they're, they're three big sort of macro trends that we could talk about for hours on each one. But I think in, um, you know, I know you've recently done an episode on sustainability, but I think it's something that audiences uh, really have that expectation to see across everything that's being delivered in the um, events industry. And hybrid, I think we can all agree is here to stay. And I think sustainability certainly feeds into that with the kind of need to scale back on travel and things like that. So so hybrid, I think, is going to be something we see weaved through a lot of the trends. And then diversity and inclusion, you know, this is massively ramping up in scale across the events industry. And I think that need for accessibility, um, you know, the respect for different cultures, different learning um, needs, different personalities and stuff like that. But I think if I'm to pick on a few of the more individual trends, for me, something that I think's really interesting where we're seeing a big shift is in the role of influencers in the experiential marketing industry. And I think during the pandemic, there was almost this um, need where brands really relied heavily on influencers to drive that audience acquisition, to drive people to events on on that uh, digital platform. Whereas 
I think we're seeing a big shift now and brands are actually turning to their existing communities and their existing customers to, to share stories and to kind of, um, you know, it makes it much more credible, much more authentic that, you know, they're, they're actually leaning towards their existing customers and their existing communities and moving away from, um, from, from the big influence. So I think that's something we're going to see much more of and that kind of leads into this whole big trend that we're seeing at the moment. And that's in terms of storytelling um, and, and the fact that, you know, these big in-person physical events are back, are back, but the audience expectation has massively changed. They've got this, um, you know, they're expecting more in terms of connectivity, in terms of engaging experiences and actually being part of that brand story. You know, they're wanting to be, immersed in the brand and and be part of these bigger stories so i think yeah storytelling and the way that um brands are immersing their consumers in in that in the in those events is going to be something really key as well nice fantastic i mean you've teed up so much there just i, I want to tell you <laughs> when we're talking about um audience expectations then what are you seeing in terms of trends is it you know to to all those points that we just raised is it about audience expecting more now I, com- I completely agree with that, um, especially, I think, on the intellectual side, because I think there used to be a lot of experiences where everything was very much drip-fed to the audience. Here is this mm-hmm. and here is that, and now you do this. And I think there's a lot more intellectual engagement that's being asked, um, which kind of becomes apparent with popular culture elements. Like, for example, Ted Lasso is a show that, at the moment, it's it's really hyped, it's super popular, um, it's a lot based on psychology and leadership, and there's so much information in there that doesn't get explained to the audience. So as an audience member, either you know about it, you can look it up after, um, or you just take it um, and just watch it on a different level. So there's so many different levels of engagement that I think audiences are craving that we don't have to give them everything on a silver platter, but they're very happy to experience and find out and maybe you know miss a couple of things here, but experience something else there, um, mm. kind of make their own picture um yeah that's see that's so interesting that kind of uh the idea of almost modular experiential where you don't need to cater to everybody because everyone can sort of seek out their own experiences they're so interested in Stephen, in terms of trends that you're seeing then what what are some of those those biggest uh things that are coming down the pipe that you're i suppose most excited to see for the experiential industry yeah i mean to be honest i, I guess i'd echo first off what sophie was saying around influencers i think mm-hmm. We've kind of fortunately, I would say, moved through the era of um, having our feeds influenced by people who aren't necessarily the ones that we really want to hear from authentically around those stories for those brands. Um, And obviously, there's now legislation in place to protect us online, and we have much clearer transparency when posts are sponsored and and so on. And I think that's a really, really good move. I think without diving into a, a parallel discussion, I think you only need to look at what's been happening recently with, with the Bud Light situation to recognize that I think brands are realizing now that there is a significant level of potential risk involved in working with influencers. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, audiences have become increasingly divided and are now prepared to take stands and, and actually sort of act, act in ways that are boycotting products if they, they don't align with ideology. So I think the challenge we have with influencers and, and, and brands in general in the biggest sense is really sort of to what extent they will continue to participate in in culture wars um, and to what extent they're prepared to risk profit to be mm. involved in important social conversations. And it's I think it's quite a prescient point right now, given that we are at the beginning of Pride Month and we've already seen several 
large brands pivoting away from what was initial very public support, um, posting of flags, sort of large organizations like MLB and so on have now gone ahead and then removed those flags mm. um, for fear of backlash. So separate conversation, separate podcast, but I, def- I definitely think that the space of influencers now is infinitely more complicated than it was before. Um, and actually, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with Sophie. I think the idea of bringing in your existing community and amplifying and platforming their voice to drive that brand love, I think is a really interesting way of of going about that in a, in a more authentic sense. Um, sustainability, of course, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it across the board with the brands we're working with, not just from the point of view of it's a, a core element of the brand story that the experiences we design need to reinforce. It then flows through into production as well. Um, so a lot of the time now we are very deeply analyzing the ways we are going around, um, going about producing the work that we do, um, mm. right down to kind of almost sort of re- revisiting the initial assumption as an agency that the first obvious solution for a client brief and experiential is to build something. Um, I think we've very often thought, okay, this needs to be a a big physical build. It needs to be a big space. That's kind of the starting point. And then the question after that is, well, what do we fill that shiny fancy box with? (laughs) Okay. Um, And I think the point of storytelling, yeah, absolutely. I think audiences now want to engage with stories. And I think if we're having this big summer or this big return for experiential i think increasingly the biggest trend for me is events will become opportunities to create media and ip we've seen it with netflix we've seen it with moncler we've seen it with numerous brands now the the inseparability of an experiential event from an opportunity to create media that then allows you to reach a bigger audience and generate entertainment formats but Tamsin, to sort of round off this this intro to, I suppose, experiential in 2023, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? Because you're coming at this from a slightly different angle, I think. I think, yeah, I mean, interestingly, I think we're seeing the same trends, even though we're coming from a different angle. I think for us, we really are seeing sustainability is firmly on the agenda. Mm. And actually, that's, you know, is being driven by consumers. But we know consumers don't expect perfection when it comes to environmental practices, but they do want to see change. You know, they want to know that values companies' values are really aligning with their own values. Um, and it is something within Braleno, we've set up a kind of subsection, Braleno Blue, that's all about sustainability. Um, and they're helping us to actually look at our carbon emissions and really kind of delve di- down into how we can make experiential marketing, which historically has been seen as quite a wasteful discipline, into something that actually, you know, is, is there for good um, and that's you know nicking down into travel admissions really looking at like, the vendors we're working with making sure they are actually working to similar principles and practices as we are so that's absolutely kind of key for us as well and you know exciting to see that is firmly on the agenda yeah it, it's fascinating to see that this year it really feels like it's experiential which is taking the lead on that for the past couple of years it's been i know sustainability has been on everyone's agenda for years and years when i was editing the drum network um magazine we would get constant pitches about it so it's obviously always been very high on the uh, marketer's agenda interesting that all of you seem to say now that it's a consumer-led thing as well like we're responding to what consumers want and that sustainability is very high up that but when we're talking to consumers in the run-up to you know during events and afterwards to what extent are we i suppose uh reliant on tech now how you know uh integrated is tech into experiential and is it ever possible to sort of disentangle it and think about it from as one aspect of experience but not the whole thing uh so i don't know who wants to to take that maybe we stick with you tamsin 
Yeah, I think, you know, all great experiences have got to have an idea at the heart of them, but we're increasingly seeing tech kind of making sure we can deliver richer, deeper, better shared experiences. Um, It's also increasingly playing a role in the development of campaigns. So I think offering us enhanced insights, better planning, better media tools. Um, So it's not always at the forefront of everything we're delivering. And this summer, we've got a kind of massive mixed bag, but ultimately it's there to help us do better and be more efficient. Um, And that's not always in the kind of forefront. I think we've got to be careful not to use kind of tech for tech's sake and actually not be driven by briefs that come in saying we want to use AI, for example. You know, it has to add (laughs) mindful of our consumers and, you know, what what's really going to add to their experience and say, you know, they are they are savvy. The expectations are high. We want to be delivering upon that. So absolutely, it's weaved into everything we do, but it, you know, but it doesn't have to be in everything we do. I'm so happy you brought up AI because that has been, um, if you hadn't, I was going to have to bring it up because we have seen so many campaigns lately on the drum that do feel like AI for AI's sake. So Stephen, to what extent do you think that tech is is part and parcel now of how we, not just, you know, to Tamsin's point, think about actually delivering events, but in the run up to and and post event that we sort of interact with audiences and consumers and and everybody who the experiential was designed for? I mean, I guess there are two sides to it. So one side of it is tech in the sense of, of media and how we communicate about our events up through and, and, and post fact. Um, and obviously sort of one, one of the big challenges, and maybe we're going to chat about sort of KPIs and measurement later. One of the big challenges we always have is sort of how do we sort of give our clients certainty and confidence that we're not going to be in a Kevin Costner situation. If you build it, they will come and then the audience doesn't show up. So I think um, one of the big elements is making sure that you are integrating social channels. You are having more connected, integrated conversations with the comms and PR and media agencies and planning teams to recognize that the activity you're doing as an experiential agency is, is one chapter in a bigger story that's being told by the brand that year. And your chapter has to flow into and out of the bigger story ultimately. And of course, sort of the way we tell that through media and technology is important. Um, then when it comes to the actual event itself, I think, look, technology is one of many tools that we have at our disposal as creatives to tell those stories. It's one of a, a suite of adjectives, I guess you could say, that we can use to punctuate the, the paragraph or that, that sentence. Um, so looking at something we've just done recently, for example, with, we've just done a big project with Andrama at Battersea Power Station, where a core element of that is really around technology, but the technology exists in that space to fundamentally deliver a better experience for the guests, the program's aim being to find and nurture emerging talent. And as part of that, we're obviously having to do athletic tests against this cohort of kids between 16 and 20. So technology is an inescapable part of that. Um, And it allows us to tell stories and and appeal to audiences both visually and sensorially in a way that we would not be able to otherwise. So it's fun to play with. It's always challenging, I think, if you've come from a a background in production or your agency is used to a way of doing things. So it's, it's always a journey that you have to take the team on whenever you bring technology into the equation, for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, again, you've you've queued up so much there. But talking about sort of that that sensory experience, Svenja, to what extent is is tech now responsible for delivering that sensory experience? And are there ways to do it without necessarily relying over relying on tech? I think there, there's always, um, like what's already been said, there's always a bit um, of a worry that we're using tech for tech's sake. But I think the one thing that has changed so much is just in the whole ideation process because it used to be. We have this idea, how are we going to make it? And now the technology is very much at the core of the ideation process. 
um, which also means um, that it's just innately integrated in any creative process. So what we're trying to do when we put an event on is just to make it as intuitive as possible so that even though tech is involved, it's not about the tech. Tech is just um, a sort of means to the user experience. Um, and I think the less visible a lot of the tech is, the better the experience. So the audience can really get immersed in the stories rather than being kind of, I mean, there's always an element of being wowed by, oh, this is really cool. This is really fun. Um, but I think once the hype around a new type of technology kind of dies down, that's when you really want to put it kind of on the back end and use it, but in very intuitive, hidden clever ways to enhance experience that's interesting that's like uh arthur c Clarke. you know uh, sufficiently advanced tech is indistinguishable from magic mm. where you sort of use tech to sort of power it in the background but it doesn't necessarily draw focus that's so interesting and mm. so from from your perspective again coming at this from a slightly different angle to what extent yeah. then do you think that the tech either through ideation or through delivery is now responsible for what we think of as experiential as a whole yeah it's interesting and i think if we if we think of the event itself and then also the, the pre, the leading to the event, I think in terms of driving people in the pre-event um, use of technology, I think for me, this is all around personalization and the use of technology, like through an event app, for example, can really help deliver a more personalized, unique um, user experience at an event. For example, you know, they can plug in their passion points, um, certain speakers they want to see, any industry verticals that they're interested in. And by doing so, this generates almost like a unique, bespoke, personalized um, itinerary for them, as opposed to having to you know, work through a standard itinerary and kind of figure out and muddle through um, their own user journey and events. So, yeah, I think personalization is really key in terms of pre-event technology. I think, interestingly, at the event itself, I agree with what um, a lot of the other panelists have said in terms of not using technology for technology's sake. But I think as we've already touched on a little bit is that need for two-way conversation and immersiveness and engagement with with attendees. But I don't think this necessarily always needs to be technology-driven. I think actually moving away from screen-based engagements um, and experiences can actually be quite refreshing. And what we're seeing a lot more of at the moment is to bring in more analog activations because whilst this you know, it's it's still incredibly immersive, it's still incredibly engaging and it can tell a story, but in, in a slightly different way that's taking you away from, from a standard sort of touch screen and becomes a little bit more um uh yeah, um sort of engaging. So I think I think yeah, that, that would be my view. Nice, fantastic. Stephen, you, you flagged up KPIs earlier, and I wondered, given all the changes that we've seen in terms of how experiential is thought of, its purpose, how audiences interact with brands in their sort of live or, or even online experience, to what extent are KPIs shifting? And you know, what do clients now expect from an experiential campaign? And we can get onto how we measure it and, and display it, but what... I suppose the question I'm going to put to the panel, and I don't know who wants to take this first, is to what extent are client expectations around KPIs shifting? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult question because there's there's yeah. the answer that you put into public, and then there's the reality of the conversations <laughs> yeah. that happen closed doors. And I think, look, ultimately, there is an, an element of recognizing that with experiential, fundamentally, what you are trying to do is stimulate a deeper sense of emotional engagement with the brand because that forges memories that last longer than a television commercial, that last longer than something sliding into your feed. We have the ability and the privilege as people working in experiential to form memories that are a core part of 
a consumer's understanding and their meaning of, with a brand. Um, so yes, we can kind of track things against sentiment and footfall and dwell time and all of these kind of things. Excuse me. Dwell time and all of these kind of things. And to an extent, there are sort of hard KPIs we have if we're doing a Goodwood Festival, for example, with a brand, or if we're doing a, an, an automotive project, then yes, there will be KPIs against how many how many people signed up to do a test drive with the product, for instance. But I think the reality is we all really know that the actual takeout from that is we want to get audience top of funnel with the brand to initiate a different kind of engagement between that consumer and the brand that is longer lasting, deeper, and is more embedded in meaningful memories. So we can talk about KPIs and and, and the science element of it. But I think within the space of advertising, we're quite lucky that as experiential marketers, what we do is closer to that moments of making magic with emotions rather than it being around cold, hard stats a lot of the time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm coming from an integrated agency as well, we are lucky that lots of clients are kind of viewing experiential as part of a campaign. So those kind of quite micro KPIs around shares, sales, et cetera, are important to make sure things are working on the ground. But ultimately, we need to be looking at kind of brand metrics and looking at the kind of total impact at a longer and a longer term, this you know, experiential really is that kind of start of a relationship, as you say, and you know, hopefully a profitable relationship. But you know, the measurement on the day absolutely is is part of the story, but it can't be the total story. I mean, I guess yeah. until we're in a world where we can literally measure the quantity of oxytocin that we've triggered in yeah. the brain, <laughs> consumer, and then we can go right, this consumer loves us X percent more than they did before because of this experience. I think that for me would be the really meaningful metric. How much adrenaline, oxytocin, all of those important kind of neurological chemicals of love can we actually bring to, to somebody's life? That's, that's, that's the magic of experiential, isn't it? I mean, it's it's all about the emotion and the feeling that no other forms of media can drive. So I think, yeah, that's really key. But when it, when it, it's, it's such a difficult question when it comes to KPIs, because I work on two very, di- well, very similar clients in terms of they're both tech clients, but they have completely different sets of um, business objectives and priorities. So on one hand, one's very much sales driven, lead generation, demand generation. It's all about badge scanning, you know, leads to pass on to their sales team to generate in sales. So that's quite a quantitative KPI and it's very much sort of, yeah, very much reliant on numbers. Whereas on the other hand, another client I work on, they're, they're really not interested in new sales leads. For them, it's all about diversified revenue within their existing customer base. And it's all about growing those existing relationships about networking about more of like a shift in brand perception and brand um connectivity so for for that side it's much more qualitative so i think yeah it's it's just so dependent on their overall um client priorities and um whether we're you know when we when it comes to kpis and svenia to what extent then do we feel like as as agencies and marketers, we sort of are taking a lead in helping shape KPIs for clients and actually saying, well, look, this is what consumer, our consumers want. This is what they expect now. This is the experience that they want and almost feeding that back to clients rather than letting clients define it. So I think one of the key points that comes back to sustainability, which is not just demanded by client, uh, by consumers, but also very much by clients. And um, so we use Ad Green to track carbon emissions on every project now and kind of 
that's at the forefront of our interaction with the client to say, we will track this, you will get a report. Um, and we're really trying to get a, to keep an eye on uh, what that means for the environment. But this goes further than just looking at carbon emissions. So we're very much trying to enter that sphere. So it's basically sustainability is not just about the environment. It's also about social and governance. And it's really about all of those factors coming together. Um, and it's demanded by clients as well as consumers. And I think mm. finally we're in a good place where everyone tries to go in the same direction together rather than either the consumers pulling one way and the clients going the other way, but it's really kind of aligned um, and yeah, pushing forwards with sustainability and just to, in lack of better words, to make the world a better place. It sounds nice. Yeah. That's great. Actually having alignment on that, such a, such a rarity and yet something that, you know, fantastic to say that everyone's sort of pulling together on that. And Tamsin, then when we're talking about, um, I think we, I, I suspect, I suspect we touched upon this in sort of some of the previous questions. But what are some of the biggest challenges now facing experiential marketers? Is it the ability to prove sustainability, to deliver upon KPIs, to keep abreast of just everything that's happening in and around the tech space, or something completely different that we've not mentioned yet? What would you say some of those biggest challenges that we're facing? Yeah, I mean, I think all of the above, and we've obviously <laughs> kind of touched upon the kind of tech for tech's sake piece. I think something that's quite different to anything we've talked about to date is actually what we're seeing from festivals this summer. And that is actually ticket sales are happening, but they're happening much closer to the event dates. And what we are kind of seeing and hearing is people want great experiences and they are not willing to take the risk of booking something two years out, the weather not being perfect, them not having enough money to actually kind of enjoy those moments to their fullest. So actually, I think one of the biggest challenges is keeping abreast of how people are feeling. You know, what is the sentiment out there? You know, how actually going out there with a very extravagant experience, you know, is that right at the moment? You know, how are people feeling? What can they afford to do? What can they afford to engage with? Um, and getting that tone of voice right in everything that we do. So making sure we're really reading the room and making sure our experiences, which inevitably we have to start planning kind of years out, Mm. Um, still are relevant and right at that moment and everything we're doing actually feels tonally right for the world as it is today not just the brand and you know the, the story we want to tell needs to be the story people want to hear oh shit that chat that seems like the biggest challenge i think i've ever heard on the podcast that seems like it's just a constant series of, of decisions and iterations with such like huge ramifications if you get them wrong does that chime with anybody else or what would have you know other people on the panel think are some of the bigger challenges that we're facing yeah i mean i'd agree i think there there is this really sort of challenging push and pull at the moment between digital and, and, and physical i think that we've, we've spent several years locked up in houses um for better or for worse <laughs> we have a generation of uh, young adults let's say i hate to use the phrase gen z but we have a generation of young adults now entering society and entering the workforce who have had a significant part of their social and emotional development halted and stunted by the fact that they have not had opportunities to interact with one another and so Yes, we've seen this huge explosion in, in an acceleration in, in movement towards digital behaviors, online shopping and so on. We've seen the death of the high street. We've seen the impact it's had on retail. We've seen the music industry rapidly try and pivot and start to activate with artists in the metaverse and look at ways of keeping ticketed events or at least platform sponsored events. If you look at something like Ariana Grande within Fortnite, for instance, mm. but 
I think what we don't know yet is of those digital behaviours that are a direct result of the pandemic, which are the ones that will persist and last, Yeah. which are the ones we actually want to keep as part of our way of engaging with society and culture, and which are the ones that will be washed out as we return to this real world in real world interaction with, with, with one another. And I think at the moment, it's very difficult to get a sense of how far we should be leading in that space and how far... Mm. Opposed to Tamsin's point, we need, we need to be listening really, and sort of keeping abreast of what it, what is the, the mood and the barometer of what people actually want right now. Because the risk we run as, as experiential marketers is we we assume that okay, right, it's the answer to X brand challenge or X brief is it's a physical, it's a digital, it's a, it's a mix of both. And I think we that's that's the Rubik's cube we're constantly playing with is what what are those components and, and what measures do we deploy them in. Completely agree. But it's also just to add to that, I think generally audience engagement was having been locked up for so long and now going out there and there's so much out there at any given point. There's so many screens and activations like anywhere. And it's really about standing out and how, yeah, it's, it's coming down to audience engagement and how to stand out from competitors and how to help clients do that. Um, which I think comes back to something that we were talking about earlier about personalization localization and specificity so it's about making it very personal about making it modular making it flexible and kind of reacting to what's around you rather than plonking the same <laughs> activation in lots of different places it's very much where are we um location wise like not just we're in london but we are in a very specific place in london what does that mean to be here which i've always found fascinating with projection mapping because it's so location specific that you can't just you know put it anywhere else it has to be concepted around a very specific location um and one other issue we face with that and that's on a very technical side is wi-fi and 3g availability which sounds nuts but we do a lot of work without in central london and just being able to develop um, an AI experience that where audiences can seamlessly kind of access it at any one point has been quite a challenge. Um, and yeah, it's just finding ways around that and trying to make it as easy for audiences to engage with your activation as possible. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one of those logistical things that I think that we sort of take for granted now, but not to date myself, but when I was going to, you know, Leeds and Reading back in the day and, you know, you, you just lose your friends and then there'd be no signal. And I'd be like, well, I guess I'll see them again in five yeah. to six weeks or, or not at all. So, yeah. Um, but Sophie, what would you say then you're most excited about in this space for the next, uh, you know, couple of years to even further down the, down the lane? Um. For me, it's really the advancing quality of content that's being generated from events. I think something I've always banged on about for years now is um, trying to flip the media plan around and put the event and the experience at the heart of the media plan as opposed to just an afterthought and really use that content to de deploy across, um, you know, born and earned media channels. But I think this has like evolved hugely since pre-pandemic. We're not talking about just capturing a photo in a photo booth and putting it to proximity digital app home screen anymore. We're it's it's just evolving massively. I think events are actually becoming like micro broadcast studios, and um, content that's being captured is like not only being deployed to like hybrid and virtual audiences, but it's also being now stored almost as a library to broadcast across advertising channels, digital channels, and just 
you know, living way beyond the calendar event of the event itself. So, you know, audiences just, they don't want to view mediocre live stream content anymore. They expect this like almost cinematic quality to, to view remotely. And I think this is something that we're going to really see continue to grow. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously it needs the right level of investment. It requires proper integration planning, content planning. But I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting area. And I think from an event, um, if you take like Dreamforce by Salesforce, for example, I think the content generated over a couple of days was almost more than some Netflix documentaries <laughs> generated over like two years. So I think, yeah, the content from experiences is, is something that I think is going to be really exciting to see over the next few years. I 100% agree with that. I think the most exciting trend we have coming is the convergence of experiential with entertainment fundamentally. Yeah. All you need to look at is what what um, Netflix did with Money Heist, biggest fan. It's bringing in your fan community, allowing them to have a first-hand experience of a fictionalized world and creating a, a spin-off IP format from it. Absolutely genius. Look yeah. at what Michelle Obalcher did with John McEnroe, where the, he plays against his own digital avatar with technology at the back end of it. Absolutely genius. Look at what Montclair have done with genius, 1.1 million views for their London event, live streamed globally around the world. Like the smartest brands now are recognizing that the experience is not a closed, gated, time-sensitive event. No. The experience is about creating a moment to drive a compelling piece of IP and a media proposition that then brings audience into your world and lives on drive to survive is another one look at the impact that drive to survive has had on f1 mm. that to me is the sweet spot for experiential it's when it can have that unholy matrimony with that uh, with entertainment i think that's the point where the industry is going to start going in a direction that's really really compelling because ultimately look we're asking people to surrender their free time to a brand people don't necessarily want to do that like we we we're probably more of the generation of interruptive TV advertising, which frankly is quite obnoxious. It's like that. I always use the gif of it's Rihanna where she walked onto stage and threw a cat wad of money at her manager until basically sort of shut up. And it's like kind of, that's the attitude of brands on television is shut up. I've got more money than you listen to me and I'm interrupting the thing that you are actually here to enjoy. Whereas I think experiential has the opportunity to go, well, actually, no, we want to be additive to the thing that you enjoy and we have to be more humble and, we're joining a community and we're joining a conversation. We have to be additive to it. Um, and to me, creating content and IP is, is the route to being additive to the communities that we're joining. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, Tamsin, from your perspective, then what are you most excited to see? Because obviously like uh, we, we've touched upon, you know, bringing the, com the community and the fans along with all this kind of stuff, but from your perspective, what are you most excited about? I think for me, it's about looking at how tech can knock down barriers so really looking at kind of finding ways to include people from different social, ethnic, cultural backgrounds. And I think we've seen a bit of that during a pandemic, moving to kind of virtual events. You know, it's no longer just the, the top dog who's coming along to these experiences that, you know, people are able to fly, the people are able to fund those tickets. You know, actually, the, the diversity that can come alongside technology revolution um, and enable more people to experience the moments, the campaigns that we're kind of hosting um, and making it accessible to all of those. I think that's going to be a really interesting kind of place. It, it's a great time to be part of the experiential world because actually there is so much change. We need to be really savvy. We need to know kind of what are the right things to employ. You know, actually having a tech team in-house that can advise us regarding kind of what's right, what people are actually adopting is important, but it is happening. And actually there's, you know, 
there's great possibilities for us to talk to more people, talk to people with that diversity in mind. Nice. That's that's great to hear that it's sort of exciting to even be on that cusp of change as well. Um, so it's not sort of too daunting. It's just, uh, you know, a, a fun challenge to face as well. Mm, and and Svenja, what would you say then from your perspective you're most excited about, whether that be from kind of that that tech side advances in, in actually doing things live, or even from, you know, some of the things we've mentioned around sustainability or inclusion? I think it's very much not just about like the diversity of content, but the diversity of the creators behind it. Like the, the next generation basically of creators is so diverse and I'm really excited about it. So next to my work at Pixel Artworks, I teach at university one day a week and just mm. seeing how students use technologies in different ways, how they make connections, how they, you know, put up these little experiences that are, you know, either technology-based or just completely physical, um, I find absolutely fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to what happens and what comes from that in terms of experiential and in terms of audience experience. Nice. Fantastic. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. We could have done deep dives into almost anything you mentioned. Uh, We could have gone on for hours about any of the topics you brought up. But instead, we sort of skimmed across it like a a rock across a pond. But uh, for the listeners who want to maybe pick your brains about any of the things you mentioned and do a bit of a deep dive with you. Where's the best place for them to reach you? Sophie? Uh, Sure. They can reach me um, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite easily searchable. (laughs) So yeah, LinkedIn's (laughs) probably the best bet. All right, fantastic. And Svenja? Um, Either through Pixel Artworks um, or through LinkedIn as well. As far as I know, I'm the only Svenja in London who works on projection (laughs) mapping. (laughs) That's that's good. There are three Crystal Cliffs in London alone who work in journalism, which makes my job very hard. And Stephen? Uh, You can reach me on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Um, Or you can reach out to me through my blog, which is stephenwhelan.me. Very nice. And Tamsin? Yeah, so either via LinkedIn or the Brelano website, great place to get me. Fantastic. And we'll include all those details in the show notes to the listeners. And for the listeners, thank you so much for coming along on this bit of a whistle-stop tour through everything to do with experiential in 2023. Please do stick around. You can go to thedrum.com or at the drum across all our social channels to keep abreast of everything that's going on in marketing, advertising, media, events, absolutely everything. We write about them every single day of the week. But for now, thank you so much to Sophie, to Svenja, to Stephen and to Tamsin and to the listeners. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.